This is the NBA Weekly Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network, and I'm your host, Alexander J. Join us today for our inaugural episode to discuss the week that was in the NBA and all of its highs and lows. Week 21, ending March 11th. All right, thanks for joining us and welcome to the NBA Weekly Recap on the Mojo Sports Network. Joining me to discuss Week 21 in the Association, I've got Julian Balthazar. Julian, say good day. Good day. How are you? I've also got uh, Jury Bilsic. Jury, how are you? Hey, mate. How's it going? Not too bad. I'm hanging in. And I've got my friend Jack Brophy. How are you? Good, thank you. Can't wait to get into it. Yeah, it's, it's been a really great and excellent week. Lots of interesting stats and stories around the association. I've picked a couple of things that I want to flag that's happened in the last seven days in the league, and then we can talk about what interests you guys. Um, look, the MVP ladder is always a hot topic of discussion, and one of the things that I've noticed this week is Joel Embiid's just blown it out of the water. Um, my stats for the week are he's averaging 46 rebounds, three and a half assists, 1.7 steals, and over 2.3 blocks a game, shooting 71% from three. Now, granted, it's only two and a half attempts per game. But that's just over three games this week, unreal. Uh, Devin Booker also averaging 40 points. Granted, he's only played two games, but a high watermark as well. And always forgotten about the Indiana Pacers, Halliburton is also averaging 37 points, 15 assists while shooting 46% from three on nine and a half attempts per game. So there's the couple that I wanted to flag. It's really interesting me this week. We also have 16 players averaging 30 across week 21 in the association. Uh, I think for the season, we've got eight or nine. So it's really been a a big scoring week. Um, A couple of lows, though. I talked about the MVP ladder. Nikola Jokic, still a lot of people's uh, favorite to go triple time back-to-back-to-back MVP. Uh, So Nikola Jokic and discount Nikola Jokic, that's DeMantis Sabonis for Kings, uh, they lead the league in turnovers at 4.7 and 4.5 respectively. Now, it's not an unheard of stat given their high usage rate, but it also kind of pairs with Nikola Jokic, the big jokers, been in the spotlight this week, picked apart on defense, uh, particularly down the stretch in both the Spurs game and really late in the Raptors game. Um, Both teams really went at him. He's not not got a great reputation on the eye for defense. Sometimes his stats still say his piece particularly well. Uh, Julian, is there something that you want to talk about this week that's caught your eye? Yes. Well, um, interesting you say Halliburton's field goal percentage because he's got one of the the most bizarre three-point shots you'll ever see. Doesn't he? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, um, all those players are having exceptional years. But I think the Devin Booker one is a good one to talk about because I think when they signed KD, and I'm not sure if he played in both of those games where Booker um, scored 30-plus points, but he's... I feel like it's actually taken a weight off his shoulders. So now he probably doesn't attract the opposition's best defender. So he's got a, a lot more freedom to uh, score on someone probably not as good as defense. So his numbers have actually gone up since signing KD, whereas most people probably thought the opposite. Um, so, yeah, they, they are actually one to watch, I think. If they can have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Durant playing really well, and then plus you've got Aiton, who's been uh, predicted to be good for, for years now. <laughs> um <laughs> There are, they could definitely do some damage in the playoffs. Fingers crossed Durant comes back before the end of the regular season so they can mm. get used to him a little bit. We still don't know how long that's going to be. Um, Yuri, sorry, I think I, I pronounced your name Yuri. I'm going to cut that. Yes, I'm just going Yuri right. on the top. Yeah. Yuri, what's interesting you? Yeah, I think the one really interesting thing, Alex, I think throughout the week, I think it's with the New York Knicks. They've really sort of, in a way, have had a Jekyll and Hyde season, although... They're 39 and 30. They're sixth now in the Eastern Conference after losing today to the LA Clippers 106 95. I think the real 
thing, though, this season alone with the Knicks, probably compared to last season as well, and we can probably, you know, highlight a lot more, is Jalen Brunson, man. Mm. I think when you look at Jalen and what he did during last season's playoffs for the Dallas Mavericks, especially against Utah Jazz when Luka Doncic missed the first couple of games through injury, Brunson's 41 performance by memory in game two was absolutely spectacular. For a guy who's six foot one and, you know, is extremely crafty for his size alone, he just, he's really taken off the pressure from Julius Randle this season. And I think the previous campaign where the Knicks only went 37 and 45, Randle got heavily criticised a lot, not from just, you know, the Knicks fans who for, you know, 30, 35 years, Alex, have, absolutely given umbrage to, you know, star players that don't perform consistently or get, you know, handed big contracts. We saw that with Alan Houston in the summer of 2001, signing that six-year $99 million deal. And Latrell Sprewell, I think the time wasn't too pleased because he basically thought he was, you know, the go-to guy for Knicks and they gave him a five-year $62 million deal a couple of years before that. But I think going back to, you know, with Randall and him basically not having to have as much pressure as what he well, had last season as well. His production, that has just completely skyrocketed again. He's averaging, what, 25.2 points per game, 10.4 rebounds and still around five assists in basically 35 minutes of playing time. He's always, you know, had a very high in terms of minutes rate, especially when Coach Thibodeau took over in 2020 and right now still the Knicks coach. So Randall's had, you know, in terms of, you know, his usage rate is still up, but he's a lot more efficient. And playing off Brunson as well has been such a real magnitude for Nick's success thus far this season. I think although they won't get to 50 wins now, having, you know, dropped their last three, including, you know, the first two of a four-game Western trip, they've, they've been, in terms of, you know, the improvements yet again, they've absolutely, you know, taken leaps and strides yet again. And Josh Hart's addition as well, basically magnifies in terms of defensive identity, which Tibbs has been known for for a long time, especially with his coaching days at the Chicago Bulls and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So they'll definitely get to about 48, 47 wins, I think, from here. And, you know, if they finish as the five seed, it's going to be you know a great series against the Cleveland Cavaliers if most likely Cavs won't finish as the fourth seed. And with, you know, the whole circulation around Donovan Mitchell during the summer where the yeah. Knicks unfortunately couldn't land him. So it's going to be great. I'm really glad you brought up the Knicks one because they're just super interesting to watch mm. um, for a couple of reasons. Um, Josh Hart is so much fun to play and they've been playing really well since he was added to the side. But also Jalen Brunson, for a lot of yeah, casual NBA fans at the end of last year, that's who? Who's Jalen Brunson? He's been playing absolutely out of his skin towards the end of last season and this season. Um probably underappreciated by a lot of people who don't live in New York or don't watch the Knicks games. Um, he's been great and a revelation for them. Gives a bit of more spacing to, to I like to look after the baby Lakers. Julius Randle, I, I love that guy. Off-year Randle's a real thing. Every second year he just crushes it. Um, they're a really interesting team and I want to see them do well in the playoffs. I think they've got a, I think they've got a lot better chemistry as well. Um, Randle doesn't feel like he has to do everything, but in saying that his numbers have gone up because of that. Mm. And um, with Jalen Brunson as well, I think he was very unlucky not to be an all-star halfway through the season mm. as well. Just... And um, mm. I think you're, you're always as good as your second unit as well. I think like teams that have a lot of depth uh, really go far. And the fact that Brunson is their starting point guard, you've got people like Emmanuel Quickly coming off the bench and popping, you know, 10 to 15 points. Josh Hart is not a starter but still brings so much. So, yeah, their depth is looking really good as well. I think there's also one more thing I want to touch upon with the Knicks as well. And Tibbs' rotations for as many years as he's been in the coaching circuit for 
He's always played his starters 35 plus mm. minutes a night and has rarely utilized the bench, you know, rarely at all. I think during his days with the, um, I'll just touch upon the Minnesota Timbers, even though it was a very short tenure that he had. He basically played Jamal Crawford the most amount of minutes out of any of the, well, the second well, reserve guys on the team because Jamal, of course, is a three times sixth man of the year and he'd played basically, what, 25, 26 minutes. And Tyus Jones, who was on that Timberwolves roster back then in 2017-18 season, only logged like 10 minutes a game. So I think Tibbs, I think over these last you know, couple of seasons has really sort of bought into that flexibility that it doesn't, you don't have to constantly bank upon your starters night in, night out to lock such heavy minutes because we know what happened with the Chicago Bulls with, you know, Luau Deng breaking down with a couple of hamstring strains, joking Noah basically barely being able to walk. And I think, I think we're going a long way back now, but the 2013 playoffs when the Bulls played the Brooklyn Nets in that 4-5 matchup, Noah was basically, he was gone in game one. He only played 13 minutes. Mm. He was basically just hobbling all around the court and Tibbs was like, well, I'll just keep him on because, you know, he's our starting set. He needs to play 30-plus minutes a night, but he's already waiting to win. He's got a broken yeah. leg, but he'll be fine. Just yeah. barking on the sidelines. <laughs> That was a really yeah, poor so impression of Tibbs. Sorry, I'll cut yeah. that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can anyone do a better Tibbs? Tamara loves to zoom in on him. <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks, Yuri. Jack, what's, yeah. uh, what's been looking at? Yeah. What's been looking away? Well, it's sort of uh, you've gone for the MVP sort of chat, um, but I'm sort of looking at the defensive player of the year. Um, well, many see is Brooke Lopez, hmm. um, and he's having his best numbers in terms of um, points per game for the last seven seasons, but... Um, on the defensive end, his rebounds is averaging about six and a half a game and he's averaging about two and a half blocks per game, which is third in the league. But it's just more than that. I think the way that he sort of um, controls the paint around him and the team around him and the way that he plays on offense and defense, he's shooting 40% from three this year, which for a big man like himself, when he's shooting from 30 feet, you just go, oh, pass that off, don't shoot that. But he's um, he's having a fantastic year and him and Portis, I wasn't sure if they were going to work together because they can play very similar at times. Mm. But um, I think the Bucks are so dangerous and Brook Lopez is a massive reason for that. He's um, been a especially so, late, especially, I was about to say, especially so late in his career, it was, um, mm. you wondered if he was going to be able to keep performing at that. And he's actually gone to, in my opinion, a new level. So, um, yeah, like even today, today's game just going against the Warriors, he had five blocks. Yeah. So, yeah, he was huge. Unreal. And they're, they're important blocks too. They're not stat yeah. padding or at the end of games. They're tied games or down by two. Um, if I could shoot, I would call myself a budget <laughs> brook on the call when I play pickup. <laughs> I can't shoot, but I'll claim the blocks. Um, he's uh, fantastic to watch. And when he joined the Bucks, uh, the Lakers, for some reason, didn't extend him an offer a couple of years ago when he played well for them on the minimum. And when he joined the Bucks, he thought maybe this is the role player they need to shore up their defense. And Splash Mountain, one of the best nicknames in the league, has just taken that team to another level where they have two defensive player of the year candidates on that team. And they're so formidable. Yeah, well, you could know. Can yeah, I touch on you have Giannis and Drew Holiday as well. I think that whole team, um, we were just talking about chemistry with the Knicks and how great they are. Well, even Joe Ingles has just come in, um, doesn't play major minutes if it comes off the bench, but he's just another player that just sort of adds another little piece to him. And, um, yeah, I think they're, they're so dangerous at the mm. Bucks. When, and we're not just saying that about because he's Australian. Like, Joe Ingles has legitimately been playing very well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, exactly. we do like that he's Aussie, though. That definitely adds something to it. <laughs> uh, absolutely, <laughs> as well. Yuri, you wanted to say something? Talk. 
Yeah, can I touch on one thing, Alex, as well, about Brook Lopez? And mm. I think for most of his career, people have known him as that low-post scorer during his days with the Nets. And I think him and DeMarcus Cousins were basically rated as the two best young centres in the league at that time. And although, you know, Brook's been a tremendous shot blocker, there was always questions about, you know, his physicality and toughness. And there's a really good episode, highly recommend going back to. I know it's back to 2012, but... It's on the Association Brooklyn Nets on YouTube. You can find all five episodes there. And basically, Reggie Evans and Coach Avery Johnson really instilled that toughness inside him because Reggie Evans was Brook Lopez's front court partner from, I'd say, about early December of 2012, that 2012-13 season. Reggie got inserted into the starting lineup ahead of Chris Humphreys, and Humphreys' minutes, of course, absolutely dwindled down to the point where he was in trade rumours by early March. But... Reggie really talked about, you know, bringing that toughness inside Brook because Brook's got all the attributes to be, you know, a tremendous defensive player. And they kept harping onto him as well. And it wasn't as though it was to criticise him or be absolutely stringent on him. It was to make sure that, you know, they could absolutely bring the best out of him. And I think we've seen now these last two, three seasons with Brook, you know, he's just absolutely elevated to, you know, that next level now where it's just... It really, as you mentioned as well, solidifies that front court with Giannis because teams are having, you know, difficulties trying to, you know, penetrate to the rim when Brooks right there clogging the lane and it makes it super hard for sides to really generate any easy looks in the paint. And I think, you know, Mark Budenholz has done a, you know, magnificent job with that as well. And also going back to a decade ago, that's where, you know, Reggie and Coach Avery Johnson's Coach Avery Johnson's influences really, you know, brought it in together to get Brooke to be, you know, the best version of himself. And it's more frightening to think that he'll be 35 come April as well. Unreal, isn't it? That's what I was just looking at. He's 35 in two weeks and it's a stretch to think, or it's not a stretch to think he could be doing this in a couple of years. Where The way he's remodeled his game from banging down low uh, to being splashed out and pulling out the defense and just hitting them, it's, he could be playing at 37 if his back and his knees hold up. It's, it's crazy. What about Robin Lopez? It is. <laughs> we don't talk about Robin Lopez. He'll be in the, he'll oh. be in the WWE. Fighting mascots. That's, that's a different podcast. We can record that one a different day. <laughs> All right. Anyone else want to talk about any other statistics that floated by them? I mean, yeah, I think you, you in the run sheet you had KP. Um, he's been on fire. But, um, yeah. Yeah. The Zinger, Paul Zinger's having it. Honestly, a bit of an underrated season tucked away in Washington. Um, no one's been paying them any mind except when they're wearing those beautiful pink jerseys, which might mm. be my favourite this year. But that team isn't doing anything. Bradley Beal's still scoring 20 a night. Uh, Kyle Kuzma went from overrated probably to underrated again. Um, mm. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hands as much. And there's a, a great recap on um, the NBA subreddit this week. And I encourage you to find it, uh, to seek it out of Kuz about six or seven times in a row, just drilling into the paint and ripping the old... Beyblade move out and just some acrobatic finishes with some layups and some floaters. He's a bit underrated again this season. And then again, Paul Zing is having the best year of his career. Just tucked away in Washington. Bear no mind. Um, it really is a shame he didn't work out in, in Dallas because that could have been something interesting, but we're not the kind of podcast who's going to dwell on that. <laughs> I think with um, I think with the Wizards as well, it's, again, it probably refers back to, but I see it from an overall point of view is, um, the depth that they have. Like we talk about those three players, um, Paul Singers, Beal and Kuzma, have all having great seasons um, statistical-wise, but then it drops off after that. Like who, who's your fourth best player after that? Your it used to be Rui Hachimura. That's the problem. It used to be him. 
Yeah, and you just you just look at it from there, and it's like this team, even if they were just scraping to the play-ins or playoffs, they, they're not going to be a chance to win it, I don't think, because they don't have that sort of DNA within the side that has that winning mentality. So I remember a few seasons back, especially when, you know, John Wall and Bradley Bill were talking about, you know, the Wizards' real aspirations for reaching the conference finals and maybe even potentially the NBA finals in 2016 when they went down to the Boston Celtics, should I say, 2017 postseason when they went down to the Celtics in seven games. And, you know, the real talk, I think, heading into next season was, you know, the ceiling for the Wizards that 2017-18 season. And I think there was one article I was looking through in the season preview on where the teams would finish in their respective conferences. And one, the writers had the Wizards finishing second with a 50-32 and 32 record. And we know, of course, what happened that season. John Wall missed exactly two months with that torn meniscus. And I think the early going, you know, the Wizards without Wall were pl- playing really well. There was that great win over the Toronto Raptors in early February that year as well. Don't rub it in. After, you know, Wall. Yeah. So basically after that, and then they just really sort of stumbled down. After they finished eight, they lost, I think it was like, 12 of their last 18 games to, you know, finish with a 43-39 record and took the Raptors to six games. And we thought, okay, it's probably a season that didn't quite pan out. And then the following season, you know, would be really good when they brought in Dwight Howe, they brought in Austin Rivers, they brought in Jeff Green, they brought in, you know, a real solidifying core of veterans who really propel the Wizards to, you know, the next tier to hopefully competing for that championship. And, again, it didn't go... According to plan yet again, we know, of course, we probably don't have to detail it anymore, but I think those years alone were really sort of the peak years that for Wizards fans who, you know, have had such limited success alone that it could, been, it could have been a year rather, and unfortunately it wasn't meant to be. They're a strange team, the Wizards. Um, Julian, I'm going to target you with a question, and we didn't prep for this in the run sheet at all, so if you don't know the answer, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Would you re-sign Kyle Kuzma in the off-season? Because would I resign him? Yeah, if you're the Wizards, because he's a guy that's going to want a big amount of change. Um, yes, he's having a good statistical season, but that team's not in an interesting position. They're kind of middle of the road. They've got Bradley Beal on a no trade clause. Porzingis, yes, is playing well for them, could be an asset, but teams have been burned on him before. The big decision this offseason is Kyle Kuzma. Do you think they resign him? I, I don't know if I don't know if they will, but I think I, what I worry about with him is that he needs a team like the Wizards to play at this level like he kind of has a good role with them he starts with them but then he goes off early he comes back on with the second unit and kind of leads their rebounds and 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 is a bit more aggressive to the ring and stuff i worry if he becomes a bench player like he was um sometimes at the lakers or or another team that has stronger starters i don't think i think he can quite quickly fall into that you know that player who averages like six points and two assists and and three balls and doesn't get many minutes i think that's the only worry um, but again, I don't know. I, I would re-sign him based on how he's playing, but where the Wizards are going, maybe not. Yeah, it's interesting. This is a team that's only made the playoffs, I think, five times since 2007, 2008. So they mm. want to try and keep that winning mentality and not completely crash and burn. But but yeah, I mean, speaking about like just purely stats, I mean, he's averaging 20 plus points and seven boards. I mean, you, that's that's usually a pretty good indicator that you would re-sign someone. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's... Yes. Um, and, and he's actually playing quite good and he's passing the ball as well, which he didn't used to do um, as much. So, um, yeah, based on that, I, I probably would. It, it hurt. I have to try and take my baby Lakers hat off to think about Kyle Kuzma because listeners of this podcast might figure out over the next weeks and months <laughs> that I used to be a Lakers fan when Kobe was killing it and all those baby Lakers, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, 
and they scatter through the league and they and they fl- they do really good things and they flower like beautiful petals. And Kyle don't Kuzis, forget Randall. Yeah, don't forget Randall. I will not ever forget Randall. <laughs> There's another one I'm forgetting somewhere as well. Um, Julius Clarkson, not Julius, Jordan Clarkson, of course. Clarkson, um, yes. But Kuzma has been very fun to watch, but you kind of think, one, he needed the space from the spotlight in LA, but two, that team he's on at the moment allows him to be what he wants to be. Mm. Where else does that fit in the league? And that's, that's a, right. that was something that, you know, in the run sheet for today's meeting, I couldn't really come up with a good answer, so I didn't include it. But you, uh, Yuri or Jack, do you have an idea about where Kuzma would plug and play, or if not, we can move on? I think I was just thinking about this as well. I think it, for their stars to align and for a trade to flip back around, I think him for a swap for Michael Porter Jr. at Denver would be mm. really positive. Mm. But whether or not that actually would happen, and again, does he because he doesn't have the spotlight because he's got Jokic, does that going to affect his numbers? And then in turn, he's going to be his confidence. But uh, I feel like the Nuggets right now are missing that sort of player within their team. I don't think Porter Jr. is right there at this stage. In saying that, they're first in the West. So it's, a, it's a ballsy take. They're first in the West. But I, I kind of agree with you. What about you, Yuri? Yeah, that's a hard one, actually. I think, you know, Porter Jr. is such a real, you know, prominent asset, especially with the Nuggets when they play in transition and he gets open for those pull-up threes. He's so, you know, valuable in that regard as well. I know defensively he can, you know, have his real, you know, deficiencies and that's been, you know, highly spoken about with him. Although, you know, he's a very good size for a small forward at being listed six foot nine and, you know, along that line. But also I think just, yeah, I think with Denver as a whole, I think as well, Alex, they've had, you know, in terms of covering their defensive deficiencies, that's also been a little bit of a crack as well. And although Coach Michael Malone's done an outstanding job, you know, that's something come, you know, the postseason that's going to be maybe an Achilles heel, maybe not, Mm. but I guess time will tell. But also just touching a little bit more on that to give a bit more substance, Bruce Brown and Contagious Caldwell Pope's additions as well this season have just really sort of, you know, solidified what Denver wants to do defensively because we know, of course, they've got the offensive tools they've been doing since Malone took over in 2015, he's been there for what eight, nine seasons now, and they've progressively gotten better each year. Apart from last season, of course, because Porter Junior. Murray missed the entire season, or Porter Junior. only played nine games due to back surgery. So, hmm. again, I think, yeah, going back with where the Nuggets are and with Michael Porter Junior. He's still a, he's still a much prominent asset to what the Nuggets are looking to achieve. So, I think you've got to keep faith with him, and we've seen, you know players in NBA history have gone from average so defenders. Like LeBron, when he first came into the league, was a so-so defender, but he gradually got better each season. And I think, you know, Porter Jr., can he, you know, work on that and get to the point where, you know, he may not be an all-third, all-second, all-first defensive team, but as long as he becomes sort of like a middle-tier defender, it's going to really help the Nuggets a lot. Yeah, that addition of KCP to the Nuggets was so, so important to them this year, and it really could have gone either way because – times when he was with the Lakers and looked like this guy's washed or perhaps maybe not performing to standards some of the Lakers fans would like. Um, I'd be the first to admit, that, you know, there's 30 teams in the league and we've all got busy jobs. I haven't watched a lot of Nuggets basketball this year. I love Jamal Murray. He's very fun to watch. I have a feeling we're going to be watching and paying a lot of attention to them in the playoffs, particularly the first round, because that's when the game slows down, defense becomes more important. You've got seven uh, seven games to game plan, specific quirks and defenses. And we've seen this week that teams are taking it to the Yoka right under the hoop. So that might bring in some interesting quirks of Mike Malone to see what he does with Jamal Murray, who... 
okay defender and Michael Porter Jr., um, so-so. But KCP on that team could be the key to unlocking some interesting quirks in the playoffs. And that's and that's exactly what I think that they need as well. Like we're, so many times the Nuggets over the, probably the last two years, you feel like Jokic hasn't really had that sort of help even though he's been the MVP. Mm. I feel like this year has to be their year to at least make a conference final or at least make the NBA finals. All right, boys, we'll just take a break. We'll come back with some leading stories from the week. All right, you're back with us on the NBA uh, recap pod. This is week 21. We're recapping in the association. Um, we talked about the some interesting stats and quirks that you know, tickle our brains this week, uh, and we can talk about some other major stories. So week 21, this is a stretch because it happened at the very end of week 20, but I wanted to talk about it here with you guys today, was we got our fifth ever double bang by Mike Breen. Now, I don't know if you listeners know what that is. Um, I've got some nods on the pod with me now. Mike Breen, one of my favorite announcers, right behind Kevin Harlan and probably equal second with... Um, the Charlotte Hornets commentator who's just skipped his name, skipped my mind at the moment. He has an affinity for yelling bang. Uh, we'll see if we can clip in a sound right after this. When <laughs> really great moments happen in NBA games. And only five times in NBA history has he yelled the coveted double bang, which is something that for whatever reason just really tickles me and I just love. Um, can you guys tell me any of those other four bangs prior to this week? Absolutely. I know, especially one of them, as he stated, it's his favourite double bang. It's the Steph Curry um, from deep. And I think it was like one of the greatest games in regular season history. He did something to his ankle earlier on in that game. And I think he hit 12, 12 threes to make it um, a high for him. Or was it for the league? I'm not quite sure. It was an unreal game. Jack, you are correct. One of them is definitely that Steph Curry. They have a timeout. They decide not to use it. Yeah, that's that's the call. Uh, anyone else think of another double bang? Oh, I, this isn't a certainty. Um, oh. Is there one where Lillard hit one against PG? Is that did he do the double bang there or? Oh, I think off the top of my I head, think that's a TNT commentary. Yeah, that's mm. not a double bang. Damn, that was that was just a guess. I, and I, again, if I'm wrong, I'm going to find out and edit, and I'm going to just right. make it sound like I'll just, edit, I'll just edit my own uh, commentary to Lillard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yuri, do you think you might know what another double bang is? Um, oh, there's too many to Mike bringing bangs, but the double one of probably this one probably won't be correct. But I think wasn't there one where um Ron Artest hit that three late in game seven against the Celtics in the deciding game of the 2010 NBA finals? I don't know if that's absolutely spot on, but I remember that game vividly because that was about a year after I decided to become a Lakers fan and I loved Ron Artest, but no, it's not a double bang, unfortunately. No, I got, yeah. uh, got worried when no, you were saying Ron Artest. So. <laughs> yeah. Meta World Peace, sorry. Or Panda's <laughs> friend, or, or I'm not quite sure what his name is at the moment. Yeah. Should I pause a pod and we'll find out what his name is currently? And <laughs> it's Meta oh, Sanderford Artest. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, so we'll take that as we may. So we've got one double bang. That was to Steph Curry. There is another double bang semi-recently was Jason Tatum. I don't know if any of you guys remember that. We had one in the bubble. And then uh, outside of this Julius Randle beautiful double bang, we had an Eric Gordon double bang against the Lakers. Really? <laughs> oh, the one in the bubble was Luka Doncic, I think, actually, from memory now. Oh, yeah. yes, it was too. Yeah. Big to put him, uh, I think that one was to put him in OT. It's Alex's secret segment. 
So, look, we don't know each other very well for listeners of the podcast. Uh, we are really excited to work together and we play off each other's strengths and weaknesses really well. We haven't had a lot of time to bond. And how do uh, a couple of blokes bond? By choosing who's the cutest boy. So, Alex's secret segment today is I'm going to throw up a photo of two teammates. I'm going to share screen and we're going to take a vote who's cuter. I told you this was going to be a ridiculous segment. And look, if it's that bad, podcast listeners ain't going to hear it. <laughs> Let's go for it. I'm ready. <laughs> so I'm just pulling up a photo now and I'm going to share screen with you very shortly. Do you have any guesses who these two teammates might be? You don't know me very well, but who would I be thinking is really cute in the NBA? <laughs> well, look, you are a Raptors fan, so maybe like Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi, who knows? <laughs> a couple good-looking dudes, but no, you're a bit far off. I'm going to uh, show screen now. For audio listeners, it's a glorious media day photo of Josh Giddy and then a fashion <laughs> vogue of Shea Gilgis Alexander. Two really good looking teammates making uh, waves of different things in the NBA. Julian, would you like to go first? Who's cuter? Um, look, I'm going to go Aussie Pride, Josh Giddy. No, no, no comments needed. <laughs> no, no hesitation either. We're going to move on, Jack. No hesitation, no further comments. <laughs> I'm going to go with Shay. Um, Giddy says that he copies his fashion from him, so I'm presuming that SGA might be the uh, the man, and he probably is the man in the team, so maybe that makes him cute. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yuri. Yeah, probably have to agree with Jack as well. Shay too. You know, he's sort of got those youthful features which don't make him look as though he's 25. He looks as though he's in his early teens. So yeah. that's what something that really sort of stands out. So my vote here could either give it to SGA or we could cause time. We'll have to run the second back next week, which I don't know if you want to do or not. Uh, for audio listeners, uh, myself, I am very bald and Josh Giddy has got a glorious set of hair, but it is SGA for me. SGA is a very suave-looking man and, and uh, we'll leave it there. We'll get out of this segment as quick as we can. Uh, done well. Very good. I like that segment. Three to one. Sorry, Josh, if you're seeing this on TikTok because he... Uh, sorry, Josh. <laughs> he has a habit of uh, reacting to things, so let's hope he doesn't see this. <laughs> All righty. Anything in particular you guys see coming up in week 22? I've got a couple of uh, things to flag. The Lakers currently one game under 100, uh, 500. Sorry, I'll say that again. Lakers currently one game under 500, sitting 33-34 as of recording right now. They do have four winnable games this week. They've got the New Orleans Pelicans, who are still uh, missing Zion. Brandon Ingram's been up and down, um, more so up recently. And Houston on the road. Houston's should be an easy win. Uh, let's keep an eye on that. And then they play Dallas and Orlando at home. Um, I think I saw a stat, and please don't fact check me at this, but Mavs aren't playing particularly well with Luca and Kyrie at the moment, having some gelling issues. Orlando have been of a bit of a surprise this season. They've smashed the over for a lot of betting odds. Um, could be a trap game at the end of week 22. Do you boys see the Lakers ending week 22 at 500 or above? Yes, I do. I, d- I definitely think that they've started to gel within themselves now. Um, and D'Angelo Russell, if he stays fit, I think he's a very underrated player for his uh, playmaking abilities. So Another baby Laker. Yes, another baby Laker. Half the league is, I think, at this stage, where we're going. Yuri, Julian? Yeah, no, I'm, I'll touch on a, maybe a yes, more so underrated player, cool. Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I like players who fight for the boards on both ends, and uh, 
Gee, he'll he'll do anything to get a rebound and, and do the one percenters for his team. So I like him as part of it. He's got hustle. Like if somebody mm. paid me five million dollars to play one season in the NBA and just said, "Go, son," that's how he plays. Yes, spot except on. better than me, obviously. Quite. A oh lot well, better. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. That, that'll be our next segment, comparing you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yuri. Yeah, I think the um, yeah, the additions of Beasley and um. Also, Russell and Vanderbilt, too, really giving the Lakers, you know, a different dimension, especially the three-point shooting because basically the entirety of this season have been basically bottom three in the league. They're only shooting, what, 33% from the field, and it's been a real struggle for struggle for them there. But we saw, of course, D'Angelo absolutely go off yesterday against the Toronto Raptors when the Lakers really needed it most. And as well, Vanderbilt as well has just been, you know, really, really good, you know, pickup as well, especially... I think it was only a few years ago where the Denver Nuggets had him and, you know, it was hardly part of their rotation to, you know, being such a key cog in Minnesota's run to the postseason the last season and now, you know, joining the Lakers and, you know, hopefully really getting them to where they want to get to. And they've spoken about wanting to get to that sixth spot and playing the Sacramento Kings in that first round. And who knows from there because Memphis and Sacramento will still be jostling out for that West second spot. So, yeah, it's going to be really intriguing to see what happens now because Utah and the Pelicans are still, you know, fighting for the playing seating. Same with Portland too. So there's so many, you know, different intriguing storylines coming up where, you know, the regular season's absolutely... We always say it every season though, but you, you realise that it gets to January, February, March, and it's like, wow, we're already 60 games into the regular season and the postseason's only around the corner. But I think for the first time in a long time, especially in the Western Conference... I reckon they'll only be probably the top seed in Nuggets. They'll win more than 50 games, and that's a really rare, you know, proposition to see. Mm, Memphis were on track uh, early in the year, but it looks like they might have some struggles there as well. Look, coming up in week 22, we've also got Boston. Um, they've looked a bit underwhelming in their last stretch. They had a really good strong start to the season. Um, they've got four winnable games on the road. Uh, that last game with Utah might be a trap game. They've got Houston, Minnesota, Portland, and Utah, four winnable games for them. Uh, the Bulls look like they're still trying to win. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I'm glad they are. I have them in my uh, overs. So I think their over for the year was 42 and a half or 41 and a half. Three games at home against the Kings, Minnesota, and Miami. My prediction is by the end of next week, we're going to know whether or not the Bulls will be in the playoffs because they are could be difficult games for the Bulls. Uh, and then Golden State, while recording today, they pulled out an OT win against the Bucks. A uh, really fun game to watch uh, and it blew them away in overtime. They've got four games this week against Phoenix, the Clippers, Atlanta, and then Memphis. Uh, still don't know about the Jar Morant situation by the end of that Memphis uh, road turn. I haven't been able to figure out Golden State all year. They did play really well against the Giannis less Bucks today. There was no Giannis, um, but they played well. Thoughts on Golden State, boys? There's no Wiggins at the moment. Um, and Kaminga as well has been injured. So I think they um, just need that little bit of gelling themselves and you can't really count out, count out Steph Curry um, and what he's capable of. They Their shooting today, for example, was really, really poor at the start, as were both teams. But if they can get it clicking at the right time, you just you don't want to be versing them uh, first up. In, they in the are fight. the defending champions for a reason. Yuri? Yeah, I think the road record this season has absolutely been, wow. We haven't had to say this about Golden State's road record, but it's been, yeah, atrocious. Only 7-27 on the road. And, you know, what's even more startling to think of in a way, I think going back to the 07-08 season with the Atlanta Hawks when they made the eight 
in the East's eighth and final spot, and they only won 37 games, and yet they, well, they had a 12 and 29 road record. You think from here, geez, you know, Golden State probably won't get to that mark. So, yeah, it's been a real sort of baffling, you know, way to figure out why they've been, you know, so terrible on the road when they've been so good for many seasons. And of course, their home record being at 28 and 7 now by memory is, you know, just been phenomenal yet again. I think, you know, the defensive identity, which they've, you know, forged since that championship year in 2015, has sort of, you know, slightly wavered off a bit. And I think we saw last season, especially with their second unit, with the, you know, the core of Otto Porter Jr., Gary Payton, who's still yet to play from that long-term lingering injury. Those two really sort of, you know, set the tone for, you know, Golden State in terms of, you know, not just defensively, but also the small ball tactics as well too, because we saw that Porter Jr. played, you know, I think it was game four, game five last in the NBA finals last season where he started. So, uh, yeah, look, the Warriors really interesting. They're sitting as of today, as of recording, 35 and 33, which is good for six in the West. Remember, they're the defending champions. Theoretically, they can turn it on wherever they like. And Jack's talked about the injuries and absences they're having with Wiggins as well. We don't know anything close to his timetable. We didn't talk a lot today about the West being absolutely loaded uh, and, and a big jumbly mess, which we can look at next week as well. Uh, but as you mentioned, 7 and 26 on the road, and two of these games are on the road this week. I'll talk about who's above and below them just in the standings really quickly because it is starting to get down to that part of the season. It's mid-March. Things are important. And remember, if you're 7 or 8, you're liable to be in a play-in. Like, nothing's given to you if you're not number 6. So Warriors are sitting at 6 um, at 35 and 33. They've got Clippers, Suns, Grizzlies, Kings, and Nuggets above them. The Grizzlies, Kings, and Nuggets, you'd think, have made a bit of a, a separation. They're all on 40 or above wins. Remember, Warriors on 35. We have the Suns on 37. Clippers on 36 wins. So a lot there. Remember, the Suns are going to miss KD. Clippers are very confusing to watch. Sometimes they look awful. Sometimes they look like Kawhi Leonard's the best player on earth. Shout out to the Raptors. Uh, Timberwolves at 34 and 34 somehow. They're even 500, started off really poorly, but look like they've been having some good play. Again, not a great team. Mavs, I can't get a read on them. Again, 500 at 34-34 at eighth. And then look, 9, 10, 11, 12 are teams that ideally would like to make the playoffs as well. We've got the Lakers at nine, as we discussed, one game under 500, 33 and 34. The Jazz at 10, having a remarkable season. Will they decide to throw in the towel or do they push to get Laurie Markin and some experience? I should say Larry. My apologies, Larry. At 33 and 35 for the Jazz. This is probably where it starts to pull away at 11th and 12th, uh, both the Pelicans and Thunder sitting at 32 and 35. And the Pelicans, look, if Zion comes back tomorrow, then I'd be really interested to see what they do. Um, and then, as we discussed, the Thunder, three of our cutest boy SGA has really been lighting it up, but maybe they dig in for the season as well. And not so much give up, but maybe they don't have a hope. Um, thoughts about the West? I want to keep it really brief because we can touch on it next week, but any thoughts about the West really quickly? I just think it's yeah, interesting that the Kings are second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still. Yeah, Kings fans would be uh, shocked at that. They'd probably think the ladder was tipped upside down. Um, but no. Jack? Yeah, I think that's a really great point about the Kings. Um, they were they were wanting to win a playoff or make the playoffs this year, and they're sitting in second or third at the moment. So they, that's fantastic. But um, I, I feel like from the Warriors um, down, like if you include the Warriors um, in the playoffs, but the teams below that, I think they're all just sort of playing for a place at the moment to say they've made the playoffs. That's probably my hot take for today. Yep. 
Yeah, look, the Kings, everyone knows it's the largest. Um, is it? I'm going to have to fact check this. I think it's the largest active playoff drought in professional sports at the moment. Um, last made in 2005, 2006, where they lost in the first round against the Spurs. Did get two wins. Um, but Kings fans, look, I don't know if they've officially held a place, but it's got to feel good to be a Kings fan this year. And look, they look great. DeMarcus Sabonis has been good for them. Um, Fox playing out of his skin. Um, there's somebody else I really, really like, but I always forget for the Kings. So that's sorry, Kings fans. I'll have to watch a couple more games this week and, and light the beam with you. All right, guys, anything else you want to mention before we wrap up for the week? No, I think it's a great debut episode and um, look forward to doing plenty more. Absolutely. Great. Thank you, Yuri. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Jack. Uh, my name is Alexander J. You can catch us next week for the NBA recap show. We're going to look at week 22 in the NBA on the Mojo Sports Network. Thanks, guys. Thanks, boys. Thanks, guys.